Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. This webinar was previously recorded and converted to a listening format. Now, please enjoy this timely and valuable market information from expert commercial real estate investor James Kandasamy and special guests. We, we try to really spread as much as we can about, uh, or as, spread as much information as we can about these self-directed IRAs. Just not, really, not, not many people really know that you can use them, uh, especially when it comes to real estate investing, right? Most of us have our retirement accounts, um, but we kind of just put the money away it's managed by someone and we hope and pray that it grows and that the market is is uh is kind to us really right uh, not too many people realize how active you can be especially when it comes to the type of investments that you can make within your ira um and like trevor said bear with me a little bit i'm gonna be stopping to get uh get some water i'll maybe be coughing a little bit i'm just getting over covid um so we're gonna power through this one all right, guys. So today I wanted to kind of talk to you about how do you how do I go about utilizing that self-directed IRA, really introducing you, introducing to you what the idea of a self-directed IRA is, and then taking a little bit of a deeper dive into what it can look like when it comes to multifamily syndication investing within a self-directed IRA. All right. So the first thing is obviously we got to get out of the way. Everything you're about to see here is for your educational purposes only. Right. Uh, at Quest, it's important to understand the role that we play when it comes to your retirement investments. We're here to really offer as many resources and as much education as we can when it comes to our clients and investors. We're also here to really facilitate just about any type of transaction you'd be looking to make within your IRA. But that being said, Quest does not offer any sort of tax, legal, or investment advice, nor do we endorse any specific investment. All right, so for those of you who don't know us, we are Quest Trust Company. We're the largest self-directed IRA custodian in the state of Texas. We have roughly 20,000 active investor clients all across the country. We have 2.7 billion in assets under, under administration. We have over 100 employees, 34 of which are certified IRA service professionals. All right, we really like to brag about this one because the growth that we've experienced has been very organic, right? We've had the opportunity to acquire smaller self-directed IRA custodians. That's the route that some other, some of the larger custodians have taken. Um, but the thing that kind of separates us is that when you call us, you've got someone to answer the phone, right? You're always gonna get an employee who answers the phone. And if you wanna take a deep dive, we've got 34 IRA service professionals there to take that dive with you. And as it stands right now, the latest numbers we're showing, we have just about, uh, just over 450 million in ass, uh, in in undirected cash sitting in our clients' accounts. What that represents is opportunity, right? Whether you're a part of that quest pool or you're someone looking to raise capital to make your deal happen, that's where the opportunity lies. So a little bit about me. Originally, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I uh, started off as a chemical engineer at LSU before deciding that's not just really what, it's not really what I wanted to do. So I took a couple years off and really just focused on me, figured out what direction I wanted my life to go in. From there, that's when I landed on finance. So sold everything I had, I moved over uh, to Houston and I finished up my degree in finance at U of H. All right, not too long after, 
I found Quest. And to be honest with you, Quest was going to be a stepping stone. It wasn't going, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about self-directed IRAs. I didn't know what a custodian did. Um, I really didn't know much about the industry at all, but it really didn't take long for me to buy in just because of how well the company treated its employees. It was something that was really cool to watch, even through a pandemic, you know, they were supporting their employees, even when the company was hurting. So uh, a little bit about my career at Quest. I spent four of those years, I spar- I've been with Quest for four years, three of those years were with our auditing team. All right. So what that meant is that I oversaw every single investment that came through Quest. Me and my team, we audited everything to be sure everything was in compliance, everything's vested correctly. We really got to know the nitty gritty details of how these investments were structured. All right. So that gave me a really good understanding of the structure of those investments. And now I get to be on the IRA specialist team. So I'm nearing my I'm nearing a full year with the IRS specialist team. So now I'm seeing the front end, right? I'm seeing the conversations between syndicator and investor, between lender and borrower, right? I'm seeing how these deals happen. So it's given me a really wide, uh, wide angle lens of overall picture of what these deals look like. Um, so I'm eternally thankful to Quest and to people like Trevor who give me the opportunity to now come out and speak and share what I've learned with you guys. Because uh, I really think this can this can be incredibly useful. And I and I as I learn more, the more and more important I think it is that we get the word out about this. So before we dive into the nitty gritty, it's important to understand how the IRS views just about every single entity when it comes uh, to entities within the US. All right, they're gonna fall into two categories. The first one is gonna be your taxable entities. And obviously if that's the first one, then the second one's gonna be your non-taxable entities, All right? So, First of them, first on the list when it comes to those taxable entities is going to be you, right? Anything you would establish, which makes sense. You go to work, you earn W-2 income, 1099, Schedule C, whatever it is, you're taxed on that income as you make it, right? Now you start making some investments and maybe you want some asset protection. So you decide to establish an LLC. Well, that LLC is also going to be considered a taxable entity, right? Or maybe it's a disregarded entity, depending on how you set it up. And a step further, you establish a business, you're selling products. Now you've set up an S-Corp or a C-Corp. Well, those are going to be taxable entities as well, either as the entity itself or passing through as the owner. It even extends to things like trusts, right? Whether that's a land trust or a personal property trust, those are all going to be considered taxable entities. Now, when I say a non-taxable entity, usually the first thing that comes to mind, it's a charity, a nonprofit organization, right? A church. Well, your self-directed IRA is going to be considered a non-taxable entity, right? This also extends to things like your qualified retirement plans. So your 401ks, your 403bs, TSPs, right? Those are all going to be considered non-taxable entities. And this even groups in things like the solo 401k that can be self-directed just like an IRA. Right? But what is self-direction? Really, what, what does that even mean? Right? Well, guys, it really is just a marketing term. If you look at the IRS code, there's no mention of the term self-directed at all. That is just there to illustrate you're the one in control. Right? You are in the driver's seat when it comes to the investments made within the IRA. There's no legal distinction between your self-directed IRA here at Quest versus your IRA at another custodian like Fidelity or Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade. But the only difference is what you're allowed to invest in. 
They allow you to put your funds into public assets. We allow you to take those funds and put them into privately held assets, specifically real estate style investments is what we specialize in, right? So now that we know self-direction is really just a marketing term, what types of accounts can we self-direct? Well, at Quest, we hold seven different types of accounts that fall into three different categories. The first one is going to be a, our personal accounts. Excuse me, let me take a drink real quick. So these personal accounts are going to be those accounts that everyone's heard of, right? This is that traditional and that Roth IRA. Now, by far the most common at Quest and the most common in the United States is going to be the traditional IRA. Now, it's not to say because it's better than the Roth IRA. I don't think that's the way to think about it, right? Neither one is better than the other. They each play their own individual role. But the reason the traditional IRA is so much more popular is because of its pre-tax status, all right? So when you have funds sitting in an old 401k, right? You decided, all right, I've now left the company or I've, I've retired, whatever it is, I should now no longer work for that company. I don't want to roll those funds, funds over into an IRA. Well, unless you've specified otherwise, you and your employer have been putting pre-tax funds within that account, right? They put pre-tax contributions within that account. So when you roll them over, most people are obviously looking for no sort of tax implication. So you want to roll them over into an account that matches that pre-tax status. That's going to be where the traditional IRA comes into play. Now, once the funds are in there, it's working pretty, pretty close just how it worked in that 401k, except now you're driving. Right, so you're making the investments, the investments are growing tax deferred, and then come to retirement age, you're going to take the funds out, and whatever amount you're taking out is just going to get added to your income in the year in which you take them out. Now, on the flip side, it's going to be the Roth IRA, personally, my favorite account. All right, whereas the traditional IRA was pre tax, the Roth IRA was is a post tax account. This gives it two distinct advantages. The first one is that any contributions made to a Roth IRA are going to be able to be taken out at any time tax and penalty free, right? This is one of the few accounts that allows you to take those funds out whenever you'd like because they're already post-tax. Uncle Sam has already gotten its slice of the pie. It no longer cares what you do with that money, right? So let's say over the next five years, you maximize your contributions, right? 6,000 a year. Now you've got 30,000. Well, at the end of year five, you decide, man, I want to I want to buy a car, right? I want to buy a car, but I really do not want a, a car note. I don't want a car note at all. Well, now you've got a $30,000 pool of funds to pull from, right? To go towards whatever you'd like, right? The second distinct advantage is that because these funds are growing in a post-tax account, as long as when you take them out, right? Any of the growth, any of the growth experience within that account, as long as when you take them out, you have A, had a Roth account open and funded for five years, and B, our retirement age, so over the age of 59 and a half, that means all of that money, 100%, no matter how much it has grown, is going to also come out tax and penalty free, right? That means if you took that 30,000, kept adding to it, right? Kept contributing, kept growing it, turned into 50, 100, 500,000, you have all of that money to pull out tax and penalty free. Your Uncle Sam doesn't get to touch a dime of it. All right, that's really what makes that Roth account so powerful. Uh, I'm not gonna spend too much time on the next category, which is gonna be our employer accounts, right? Just know that these accounts are for self-employed individuals 
who are looking to take advantage of the higher contribution limits that come along with these accounts. All right. This category is going to include the SEP IRA, the simple IRA, and the solo 401k, each of them serving their own purpose, but always going to be geared towards self-employed individuals who have smaller firms, right? Doctors and dentists utilize these a lot. And finally, the, uh, the last category is going to be our specialty plans, right? This is going to be the Coverdell ESA and the HSA. Now, these are the only accounts on here that are designed to benefit you now, right? These are not retirement accounts, but they can be self-directed and partnered with all of your retirement accounts here at Quest, right? So the Coverdell ESA is just meant to go towards education expenses, right? So help to alleviate some of the stresses that come along with education, right? This is kind of the counter to the 529 plan that is state-specific. ESA can be used anywhere, right? It's not state-specific. Now, how it works is you're putting post-tax funds in there. You can, again, partner and self-direct to help it grow a little bit faster. And then you can take those funds out tax and penalty-free as long as they're going towards qualified education expenses, right? Things like books, tuition, uniforms, stuff like that. And also, there's the HSA. The health savings plan is one of the most underutilized but powerful accounts that there are. All right. This is because we, it's what's known as the best of both worlds. It has the tax deductible contributions of the traditional IRA and the tax and penalty free distributions wow. of the Roth IRA. Right. That means you put funds in, you grow it. As long as when you're taking them out, they're going towards qualified medical expenses, they're coming out tax and penalty free. Now, excuse me. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? That list is probably very tiny. What's going to qualify? Well, this is actually one of the few cases where the list of what you can't spend it on is shorter than the list of what you can spend it on. I'm talking about over-the-counter drugs, drugs, prescription drugs, co-pays, dental, vision, really just about anything you would need when it comes to your, your, uh, your medical needs, you're going to be able to use with an HSA. And a cool story I've, I've seen is that someone will... They'll kind of accrue their medical bills over the years. And as long as all those medical bills were, were accrued after you set up the HSA, you can cash them in in one big distribution at the end and pay for something you were, you know, you're wanting. Uh, our president uses HSA to pay for a plane. He's a, he's a pilot, a little two-seater plane. That was one of his biggest purchases. Just a fun little story about how, how you can utilize an account like an HSA. So now that we know what types of accounts you can self-direct, why? Why should you self-direct an account at all, right? Well, there are several benefits, but the three main benefits that we'd like to focus on are going to be diversification, right? Tax savings and investing in what you know best. So let's take a look at what each of those means. The first one, diversification. Whenever you talk to a financial advisor, right, he's going to say, let's diversify your portfolio, right? Let's get you into some some steady mutual funds that are low risk, low yield. Maybe let's put you in a little bit of risky, a little you know, smaller portion of your account. Let's put in some risky, uh, maybe high yield stocks. And then maybe let's buy some bonds, right? Well, if you're in the public sphere, you're kind of just putting your eggs in different parts of what is overall the same basket, right? What a self-directed IRA at a custodian like Quest allows is for that true diversification. Right, you're getting out of the public market. 
right? You're going into privately held assets that have their own market that you can understand, right? Secondly, it's going to be the tax savings. Now, whenever you're making an investment, right? Let's, let's specifically talk about real estate. So if I were to do a fix and flip personally, right? I purchase the property, I fix it, flip it, I sell it for profit, whatever profit I make, I really have two choices, right? I'm either A, going to pay the taxes on it and get to keep what's left, or B, I'm going to try to put it in a 1031 and to try to defer those taxes until later, right? But when I take that route, there's restrictions that are going to be put on that money, mainly the timeline under which I have to find my next investment, the type of investment it has to be, and even the value of the investment that it has to go towards, right? But with a self-directed IRA, it negates the need for the 1031 at all. All of the funds are coming back either tax-deferred or in cases like the Roth IRA or maybe even the HSA, they're growing tax-free, right? It's coming back tax-free completely. So there's no need to try and put it into a 1031. They come back to you, you get the full profit, and now it's up to you what you do next. Whether you want to hold on to it, look for a next investment within the real estate space, or put into a brokerage IRA, let someone manage it, right? It's up to you what you do with it. And finally, investing in what you know best. Every one of you is here because either A, you have some sort of foundation in real estate investing, or B, you're looking to build that foundation. Right? So why not utilize that foundation to help grow your retirement account? Right? This is the most important account there is. We can really talk about all the types of different accounts and how you should really spread out your money. Right, But at the end of the day, that retirement account is supposed to be there to dictate your quality of life come retirement age. So why wouldn't you want to utilize the information and knowledge that you have to help grow that as much as you can and not leave it to the whims of a market that you kind of just have to cross your fingers with, right? So the IRS is not going to give you all these benefits though without putting some restrictions, right? So let's take a look at what those restrictions look like. They're going to fall into three categories. First one is going to be the people restrictions. Second one is going to be the transaction restrictions. And the third one is going to be the investment restrictions, right? Thankfully, the IRS has broken this down to a very easy to read and not at all confusing graph, right? It's the IRS. Nothing ever is going to be that straightforward, right? But thankfully, at Quest, we've broken this down to a very palatable form. I can understand what you can and can't do with your IRA. Give me one second. So let's take a look at people restrictions, right? When it comes to disqualified parties to your IRA, believe it or not, the very top of the list is you yourself, right? It seems weird, but really think about it. These are accounts that are supposed to benefit you come retirement. If they allowed you to take a benefit now, that's what everyone would do, right? We would all just simply use these tax advantaged accounts to grow our wealth today. Why wouldn't you? Right. So what they do is they make sure that you're never crossing that white line right between you and your IRA, that you're never on opposite sides of a transaction right from your IRA ever. So on the list of disqualified parties, it's going to be you, your spouse, your lineal ascendants. So parents and grandparents, your lineal descendants, children and grandchildren, their spouses 
or any companies that those people own, control, manage, or are highly compensated by. Really, anytime they're affiliated with a company, right? This just means that you can not, you can't be on opposite sides of the transaction, but you can partner with those, right? And we can get into that a little bit. It gets gray, it gets, it gets you know, a little hairy, but there are ways to partner with your IRA and there's a proper way to do it. So now that we know who we can't commingle funds with, what can't we do with them? Well, we cannot buy, sell, trade, loan, extend a service to, or receive a benefit from the IRA, whether direct or indirect, right? Which makes sense. Again, never crossing that white line. So we're never buying from our IRA, we're never selling to our IRA, right? Well, I'm never loaning to or from my IRA. Now, extending a service to, what does that mean, right? Believe it or not, that's the extent that the IRS explains it. And they do this on purpose, but practically, what does this look like? That means if my IRA owns a property, I cannot personally go out and do all the repairs on the property, right? Because, one second, what I've just done is saved my IRA money, right? So my IRA has received a benefit from me personally. We cannot allow this. And finally, is going to be <coughs> is going to be the investment restrictions. So I didn't even make a slide for this because it's really simple. Now, the IRA, all it can't invest in is going to be life insurance policies and collectibles. Right? Things like uh, vintage cars, art, stuff that it's hard to get a really good appraisal on because it's a much more subjective. But that's what we can't do. What can we do right, within a self-directed IRA? Guys, you can really do just about anything you'd want to do personally, right? If you wanted to get into real estate, that is by far the most common strategy that we see, right? But this takes many forms. Do you want to get direct into direct ownership, right? Do you want to start buying fix and flips? Do you want to start doing um, buy and holds, right? You want to do rental properties, all be done within an IRA. Let's say... You've got some money, but you want to lend it out. You know people who have deals. You don't know the deals yourself, but you know people and you trust them. And by all means, be a lender, right? Be the bank. You're the one who you can, you're in full control, right? You can negotiate interest rates, maturity dates. You can set terms that you're comfortable with. And finally, private entity investments. These are going to be things like startup companies, joint ventures, syndications, right? By far, the most common investment that we have at Quest is going to be multifamily syndications. There's a reason, because of its passive nature, right? You get to make your investment, you sit back, you wait five, you know, three to seven years, three, five, seven years, and you get your return. So once I have this self-directed IRA set up, how do I fund it? Well, there's three ways to fund it. First one's going to be your direct contributions. How much you're able to contribute to each account is going to be dependent upon the type of account that you set up, right? But this is just simply taking money from your personal checking your savings account and putting it towards your IRA, either as a tax deductible contributions in cases like a traditional IRA or a non-tax deductible contribution like a Roth IRA. Finally, 
or I'm sorry, secondly, is going to be transferring it from another IRA. If you've got a rollover IRA at a place like Fidelity or Charles Schwab, right, you can transfer that directly over to a self-directed IRA at Quest. Right? Because it's going from trustee to trustee, it's something that's not even reported to the IRS. This is just like moving funds from a checking account at Chase to a checking account at Capital One, right? The IRS doesn't even require that they let, that you let them know. And finally, it's going to be rolling it over from an old employer plan. Now, the reason I have old underlined there is because usually the best time to do it is going to be once you have a separation of service, right? Just because that's going to be the easiest way. Once you're no longer working for that employer, you can either roll it over to your next 401k or roll it over to an IRA, whether at a public custodian or a private custodian like Quest. Now, can you roll over funds from an existing 401k that you, with a company that you're actively working with? Potentially, all right? But there's gonna be some requirements. You're gonna ask if they allow for what's called in-service withdrawals, right? And even if they do, you gotta ask when they allow them. Some will allow it out the gate. Some won't allow it until you're fully vested. Some won't allow it till retirement age. So it really will depend from plan to plan, which is why I say it's always easier just to move it when you have that separation of service. But how's the investment process work? Well, at Quest, it's pretty easy. You simply let us know, right? And obviously, this is assuming you've got the, you've got the account set up, you've got the funds in. Call us and let us know that you're ready to make an investment with your IRA. From there, we're going to assign a processor to you. It's going to specialize in whatever type of investment you're looking to make, right? Whether that be a real estate investment, a promissory note investment, or a private entity investment. That processor is going to work with you as well as with any title company, borrower, syndicator, whatever it is, to help gather up all the documentation. We'll audit everything to be sure everything's in compliance. And everything's vested correctly in the name of the IRA. From there, once we've got it all good to go, everything's signed, we can fund that investment in 24 to 48 hours. All right, we work quickly because we know opportunities in the real estate space have very limited, tight timelines that we as a custodian have to hit in order for you to make your investments happen. Now, one type of investment I want to look at in particular is going to be syndication investing within an IRA. How does it work when it comes to cost segregation, forced depreciation? What is UBIT and UDFI? And how can we make sure we're utilizing the K-1s that we receive? So, me, if I'm making a syndication investment personally, right? Let's say it's a very by the books, you know, plain Jane syndication. I make my investment every year. If I'm a full-time real estate investor, right? I'm going to receive that K-1. And I'm going to get to see that negative depreciation, or I'm sorry, that forced depreciation on there. And I'm going to get to claim it against my taxable income for the year. Again, this is assuming I'm a full-time real estate investor. Right? I can do that for the first three years. Then I'm seeing fourth year, maybe we break even or it's a negligible amount either way. And then fifth year, I receive my profit. From there, I'm paying taxes on that profit. Right now, doing this in an IRA. So, because the IRA is a tax exempt entity, it does not have any taxable income. However, with, with the way that syndications are structured, it can run into something called UDFI, right? That's unrelated debt financed income, which is a subsection of UBIT. 
Okay, so let's look at this in the form of an IRA. IRA makes the same investment, right? But that syndication, right, more than likely is roughly 70% debt leverage from an institution, and then the additional 30% is people like me using our funds to invest, right? Because of that, the IRA, the first three years will receive its K-1s, but it does not have taxable income and therefore cannot claim the K-1 against anything. That's okay. Hold on to the K-1. All right, we're going to put that in our back pocket and save it for later. First three years, I get that K-1. Let's say it's, uh, I don't know, 12,000 12, 12, forced depreciation for the first three years. Fourth year, break even. Fifth year, we get our return. Now, let's say in the case of the IRA, I make $50,000 profit, right? Now, because the syndication was 70% debt leveraged, the, IRA, the IRS says, wait, hold on. You have a tax-exempt entity, right, that is now utilizing someone else's institutional funds to make a profit. And they say, no, we can't have this, right? Because of that, you're going to be forced to, to uh, pay a UDFI tax, Right now, how that tax works is that the proportion of my income, right, is going to be equal. Or I'm sorry, the portion of my income that is subject to UDFI is equal to the proportion of the project that was debt leveraged. So that's syndication, 70% debt leveraged. I mean, 70% of my income is going to be subject to UDFI. So in this case, I made $50,000, $35,000 of it is subject to UDFI. But now the IRA has taxable income. Because it has taxable income, I get to now use those K-1s that I got in the first three years to go against that taxable income. Right. So in the case, like I said, twelve thousand a year. That means I'm at thirty-six thousand dollars total in depreciation against a thirty-five thousand dollars taxable income. Boom! I've just canceled out my tax burden on this investment. Right. So <clears throat> EFI kind of spooks a lot of people, but I'd say about eighty-five percent of the people that make this investment within their IRA see little to no taxation at all. Right, which is why it's such a popular investment. Right, if this UDFI was really taking such a hit, it wouldn't be the most popular investment we have at Quest. All right, so that's how you go about utilizing those K ones within an IRA that normally is a tax exempt entity with no taxable income when it comes to a syndication investment. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.